0: The following is a special sports presentation of talk.com.
1: A swing and a drive to deep right away back door.
0: UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. An in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. The Major League Baseball season is over, and the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds are not in the playoffs for the second consecutive year for this series. We've been doing this for five years, Mark, and mainly one of the two teams have always been in the playoffs, except for three years ago when both were in. The last two years, neither one of them has made it, and we're going to talk tonight in our final edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for this regular season, I should say. We're going to talk about what happened with the Reds and the Indians this year, why they didn't make it, and what's been happening with managerial changes throughout the Major League Baseball today, and in order to do that, we've got to go down south and bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight?
1: I'm pretty I'm pretty good, Dave, but I think you've given up on the Reds and the Indians too quickly. I still think we have time.
0: I, I think that the time is over, Mark, Al- almost as time as your Social Security benefits.
1: Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> so the Reds didn't think, win quite as many games as I thought they might.
0: Well, you know, I heard an interesting one yesterday. Tom Hamilton, when he was doing the final Indians game, he talked about the Reds getting beat, and he said the Reds came into this season with high hopes of making the playoffs, and I thought to myself, in whose mind?
1: I know. I I don't think anybody picked the Reds. I I didn't see anybody pick the Reds. Everybody picked them fourth or fifth. Honestly, I, I didn't see one prognosticator pick the Reds anything other than fourth or fifth. So I
0: I didn't either. I was rather shocked at that comment that Hamilton made.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of a crazy crazy stat, but but you know well,
0: here's here's a look at the records for the final for the final season. The Reds were 64 and 98. Fifth place in the National League Central. And as I understand it, Mark, they've got the number 2 draft pick in next year's draft now because of that record. That's correct. All right, the Indians Finished 81-80, and 80, and yes, if you're good at math, you can figure that up, and it does come up to 161 games. The Indians had one game against Detroit that was rained out three weeks ago. The only way they were going to make it up is if they were involved in the wild card hunt and they needed to win that game in order to make it. They don't need it, so they're not going to play it. The Indians finish third in the American League Central. The Reds finish in last in the National League Central, and Mark... If my mind is going, I know this, but when was the last time the Reds finished in last place? Uh,
1: well, they, 2003, I believe, they finished in last place. But this was the first time um, they had finished this many games out of first place since 1945. Wow. And uh, that that's really an amazing stat uh, when you think about the futility of this team. But in a a few minutes, I want to share with you some statistics that I I went over. And in baseball, probably more than any other sport, you can look at the stats and you can conclude just by looking at the stats where a team finished by and large. There, There are some exceptions, but because it's such a long season, 162 games, the numbers don't lie. You know, in football, you could have the stats be skewed because a team, you know, might win one or two games by, you know, huge margins, which affects the the, the ratio of points scored against points allowed, that kind of thing. But not in baseball. It's just too long a season. And the numbers really do bespeak what what, what a team does from year to year. And uh, I'm going to share some things which certainly surprised me.
0: Well, the thing that came out on Friday was Walt Jockety announcing that Brian Price would return for another season as manager of the Reds. Now, that told me two things, Mark. A, that Walt Jockety is going to be back for another year as general manager of this team. And B, the Reds have put their future into Brian Price, and they're really not blaming this whole thing on him.
1: Nor should they. This is not Brian Price's fault. Uh, when the team has been so poorly managed at the the top level by, by Walt Jockety. uh, It's hard to imagine that anybody could, could blame Brian Price. And I, I I don't think there's a manager in baseball that could have done anything with this team this year. Uh, They were just not a good team. And the the funny thing is you can't look at just one thing. This team was bad across the board, except for, for their, uh, their defense. they, They were number six in the National League, I think number eight overall in in baseball. So they certainly had a good defensive team, but, uh, you know, again, the numbers don't lie.
0: Well, we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about why the Reds finished where they did, and then we're going to spend a few minutes after that talking about why the Indians finished where they are. But the big thing was, Mark, once the, the Reds committed to getting rid of Johnny Cueto and Mike Leek. They went with nine different rookies that made 110 starts on their pitching staff this year, including the final 64 games in a row, which smashed a 113-year-old Major League record. They really committed to the youth movement. I'm not sure if it was by necessity or just by want, but after they got rid of, of Leek and Cueto... It was Katie barred the door as far as any veterans were concerned in that starting rotation.
1: Yeah, and and the disturbing thing about that is that aside from Di Scaflani, uh and he lost thirteen games. He was nine and thirteen. He had a four hundred two ERA. Uh, there was not one dominating pitcher. Now you could you could say that Rasiel Iglesias, because of his strikeouts, was dominating. But he was, what, 2-5, and 2-6, and six, something like that, 3-7. and seven. Uh, He certainly didn't win a lot of games, which is not always an indicator of, of performance. But there, there was nothing like when you're seeing a, like a Vita Blue come up or you're seeing a, to, a young Tom Seaver or somebody you know is going to be great. And they performed that, that way in the first couple of years. That didn't happen this year. And that scares me. Because half the guys who started for the Reds this year will not be on the roster next year. They, there's no way they could bring some of these guys back. They're not. They're not even AAA pitchers. So the Reds have to go through. So, you know, usually you and I will be talking at the beginning of the year or during, during the off season. Well, if we just got a hitter, or if we just get one more pitcher, a number three guy, that would be fine. You know, we're gonna be we're gonna be great. You can't say that about the Reds. Now, you can say it about the Indians, but you can't say it about the Reds. The Reds are four or five or six or seven players away. And you do not do that in one year. I don't care how much money you got. You're not going to do that in one year. And that's what Jockety said a few weeks ago, that if you're looking for much improvement in 2016, it probably is not going to happen.
0: Well, we're going to talk more about this coming up in a few weeks as far as what's happening with what this team needs to do, both the Reds and the Indians. But let's take a look, really, at what you think the Reds are going to do for their pitching staff next year. First of all, there's been a lot of rumors that they're going to bring back Johnny Cueto. There's been a lot of rumors that they're going to put Chapman in the starting rotation. We know where you come down on putting Chapman in the starting rotation, but what do you think the odds are that they bring back Johnny Cueto?
1: Well, I, I've heard that in passing. I, I haven't heard a credible source say that. It could be some people wishing that so. Uh, have you heard anything from a credible source on that? Nothing. Nor have I. I mean, it, the, the only reason that they may consider bringing him back is, is if, he, if he blows up again in the playoffs and is very ineffective, his price may go down. But if that's the case, why would you want to bring him back? The you know the rumors in Kansas City is he's got a sore arm. So you, even Johnny Cueto at a, you know a thirty percent forty percent discount still going to be a hundred and twenty five million dollar pitcher, and the Reds can't afford that. So I, I see little chance the Reds are going to uh, go get Cueto. Now, what I would do I've said it for four years now I'd put Chapman in the starting rotation. There's your number one starter. Bingo. You got it.
0: Even above D. Scalfani?
1: Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Because you could stretch him out easily in spring training, get him ready. He's a very, very strong guy, and he can easily handle the, the workload. Um, and I, I, that—that's your number one starter. Why would you, you know, why would you look any further than him? Um, and if he is successful at that, he'll be making a lot more money as a starter than he would as, as a reliever. A lot more. So he should be all for it. He, you know, if he, if he has a great year next year, starting for the Reds, he he could get you, he could get fifteen, eighteen, twenty million dollars a year for a six or seven year contract. He's still well. He he's only twenty six years old, twenty seven years old. I mean, he's a young man yet.
0: He did become the first major league pitcher this year to produce four consecutive seasons with thirty saves and one hundred strikeouts. So he has been one of the most dominant relief pitchers in baseball today but like you said there's been a lot of discussions as to whether or not he should be moved into that starting rotation and up till now the only common denominator mark has been walt jockety dusty baker was always against it brian price appears to be against it walt jockety evidently is against it also
1: well they may not have a choice though at this point if they can't sign a frontline pitcher which i don't think they're going to be able to do that who in the hell would want to come to cincinnati and pitch on that team. Nobody, no free agent's going to come to the Reds, unless the Reds overpay, which is their problem to begin with. They can't overpay. So if they're going to bring in a frontline guy, it's got to be Chapman. It's the only guy they can go to. And then you back it up with uh, maybe a second, you know, veteran pitcher after that. And then you got Di Scaflani and you've got, um, uh, race or seal Iglesias. Uh, that's the only other guy I I would say is a lock, um, then you've got all the other also Rans. Now you have Robert Stevenson, and I think it's very strange they did not bring him up to pitch a couple games. And I just wonder if the the, the rose the bloom is off the rose as it is with Stevenson. Uh, you know, maybe they saw something that boy they, they bring him up at the end of this year and he gets lit up. There's your you know there's your great white hope. You know, and Robert Stevenson, he was going to be the next big thing. And from what I could see, I saw him pitch five or six times this year online, and he's a big, strong, powerful guy. But you know, there's there's a ton of those guys in the big leagues. He, if I didn't know he was Robert Stevenson and and hoping he was going to be really good, he wouldn't have impressed me. You know, he he, he lost far more than he won. He had an ERA in the fours. Uh, There was nothing about him that I would have said, "Wow, that's our number one guy."
0: Well, the thing that surprised me, Mark, were was when I was looking through the Reds organization today. The regular eight players were in the lineup 17 times during the past two seasons. Now, that includes this year, Marlon Byrd in left field, and then last year, Ryan Ludwig. Now, that includes only five times this year. Homer Bailey, Devin Masarocco, and Zach Cozart were among six players who spent the bulk of the season on the 60-day disabled list. Which leads me to this question. Do you think the Reds' everyday lineup is a playoff-caliber lineup and defensive lineup in the field, or do you think they've got to make improvements to that?
1: I think they need somebody. I shudder to think what Joey Votto could produce if they had a legitimate number four hitter hitting behind him. I mean, Joey Votto might hit three sixty, three seventy, with 25, 35 home runs, uh, you know, lots of RBIs uh, on base percentage. He hit on, on base percentage of 450 or 460 this year. Uh, and they wouldn't pitch to him. And if you put somebody in front of him or behind him, uh, it's going to change that lineup dramatically. Now, maybe Devin Mazurecco is that guy. Maybe he's the guy we've been looking for. But if he is going to be catching, as you've said many, many times, uh, he, he gets hurt. And you can't. Re- he's been hurt every year. He's been up, and you put him behind the plate. He's going to get hurt again. So I, I don't know how you look at that offense, which was not that unproductive this year. I mean, they they had. What's surprising is uh, the Cardinals uh, scored. Let me see here. The Cardinals scored six hundred and forty-seven runs this year. The Reds scored six hundred and forty. So the Reds had one, you know, they they, they run production wasn't their issue. It wasn't a problem. Uh, Home runs, the Cardinals hit 137 home runs. The Reds hit 167 home runs. The Reds had 613 RBIs. The Cardinals had 619 RBIs. The difference was the Reds never seemed to get a hit when it counted. And the Cardinals got hits every time it counted. But the, the most amazing statistic, when you compare the St. Louis Cardinals, who had the best record in baseball this year, and the Cincinnati Reds. Now, again, remember, the Reds only scored uh, four, seven fewer runs than the Cardinals did. Guess how many more runs the Reds gave up than the Cardinals? No idea. Two hundred and twenty-nine. Wow, that's almost unbelievable <laughs> that they could give up two hundred and twenty-nine more runs. Then that's that's a run and a half, one point four run runs a game, one point four per game, and that's where no matter what happens offensively for the Reds, they do need somebody behind Votto. But their bullpen was horrific this year. Clearly one of the worst bullpens in baseball. They have now no starting pitching to rely on. That entire pitching staff has to be reworked. And you can't pay a bunch of money to arguably the best closer in baseball when he pitches only 50 innings a year. That is so ridiculous. It's laughable.
0: Well, after like you said, after the All-Star break, Joey Votto was the leader, or he was among the leaders in Major League Baseball in hitting, on-base percentage, slugging, and walks. Now, Todd Frazier became only the second player in team history, and I'm going to ask you if you can guess who the first one was, to have at least 35 homers, 40 doubles, and 10 steals in a season. Do you know who the first player was that did that for the Reds? Third baseman? No, just an oh, overall player. Oh, okay. Give me the stats again. 35 homers, 40 doubles, and 10 steals, at least that number in the season.
1: Uh, Tony Perez?
0: Frank Robinson. Frank
1: Robinson. Oh, I love Frank Robinson.
0: Todd Frazier was only the, the only Reds third baseman with at least 30 homers in a season. No other Reds third baseman has done that.
1: Frank Robinson was my favorite player growing up. I just The way he played, he was such a tough guy, great player. And of course, the Reds trading.
0: <laughs> that's that's about the only guy that they've ever traded. Mark, I could go down a litany list of the guys that the Indians have traded away.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting when you when you look at all these these numbers. It's pretty easy to see where the Reds have to focus. And and although you can't, and you mentioned Todd Frazier, and he had some gaudy statistics this year, low batting average, but. Overall, you know, he he performed at 35 home runs and uh, what 89 RBIs, something like that. But Todd Frazier is a guy who can be pitched to, and he, frankly, if you have, if anybody throws him anything other than a a breaking ball, they're nuts. Uh, I've never seen a major leaguer in this many at bats in his career look so bad at the plate. Sometimes it's just it's unbelievable to me that college players have more pitch awareness and, and pitch recognition than he does. And yet he is in the middle of that Reds lineup, and he's an easy out in many cases. I mean, he'll hit some home runs for you, for sure. But he swings hard every time. And I like Todd Frazier. I think he plays a decent third base. But you need somebody who is far more consistent to hit behind Votto. Uh, or, or, they're never going to pitch to Votto. They didn't pitch to him this year. What do you have, 140 walks, 145 walks? That's unbelievable.
0: Well, before we move into the Indians and what they did this year, what do the Reds do with Eugenio Suarez? He turned out to be a good player in that lineup, but he's not going to be their shortstop next year when Kozart comes back. So where do they play him?
1: Well, it's it, there's so many things that could happen, including trading uh, Brandon Phillips. Uh, Brandon Phillips had a hell of a year this year. Uh hit 295. Uh And, you know, the funny thing was he stole 20, 20 or 21 bases, played stellar defense again, unbelievable defensive player. So hopefully there's a team out there that might take him. And, it, and I say that because if that's the case, I would move Suarez to second base. And he has played second base before. He can easily adapt. If you can play shortstop, you can play second base. Uh Absent that, they're going to have to move him to left field. That's the only spot you, you can move him to. And that's assuming that Mesoraco can catch. And if Mesoraco can't catch, then you're going to put Mesoraco in left field. And I don't know what you do with Suarez other than perhaps put him into center field. Because look at Billy Hamilton. He went from shortstop to center field. He did pretty well defensively. But Suarez is, you know, Lightyear's better hitter. And...
0: Mark, I don't think you can go into next year with Masarocco at catcher.
1: Well, we don't know if how injured he is. But to me, if you have hip surgery and you're a catcher at any time in your career, you're in trouble. And even if he can play as catcher, he's not going to play 162 games. You might get 100 games out of him, you know, behind the plate. Then what do you do for a backup catcher? Or do you carry three catchers? So there's so much uncertainty on this roster next year, and a lot of it has to do with Masarocco. And then Zach Cozart, by all indications, uh, he's coming back. But I'll tell you, the, I read the report on his knee, and he destroyed his knee. I mean, his knee w- was as bad an injury as you can have for a baseball player. Uh, ligaments and meniscus and bones and all this stuff, all of them were injured. And, and severely injured and torn. And he's coming back to play, ultimately, the, the most difficult position on the baseball field at shortstop. And you can't tell me his range is going to be as good as it was before. I, I don't believe it. And the only reason he's playing shortstop for the Reds is because he's got he's, he's great defensively. You take that away, and uh, his value goes down precipitously.
0: Oh, absolutely. Do you see any scenario where he moves to second
1: base? Possibly. uh, But again, that's all presuming that uh, that Brandon Phillips is going to be traded. And I don't know who would take him. I mean, I think he's what, 35 years old now Uh, by next year. I don't know who would take him for his contract. Uh, That's the problem. The, The bigger question mark, I think, on the Reds roster, though, and the Indians have some issues like this, too, is what do you do with Jay Bruce? I mean his he had 224 this year 225 and he's again another guy who is so easily struck out on the same pitch it seems to me you throw him you throw him something down and in hard and you give him a, a change up on the outside corner he'll wave at it and miss it by two feet I don't know how many times a person with an IQ over 100 swings at that pitch how can you you know what they're going to throw you And he still swings and misses. So after, what, seven years in the big leagues? Uh, If he's not figured it out, he's not going to be a productive hitter at 225. But who will take him on a $12 million contract next year? That's more money. Boston.
0: Boston wants everybody that makes over $10 million.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, he might do really well in Boston because of the short porch out there. I don't know. But, uh, you know, you, you're already in a friendly ballpark, hitter ballpark. Uh, I don't know what you're going to pick up going to Boston. But, um, you know, it, it's really sad what's happened to Jay Bruce. That this guy was going to be Mike Trout. That's everybody said. that, that he, He's the guy. And his career has just, you know, it, it's certainly disappointing to say the least. 26 home runs this year. Uh, and He had, what, 80-some RBIs. But – Again, between Frazier and Jay Bruce, these guys are so easily pitched to, pitched around. They'll strike out at the wrong times, and they strike out a lot. So the the, the problem with the Reds is not scoring runs. It's scoring runs when they're needed, and that did not happen this year, and it's not going to happen next year with those two guys.
0: Well, moving over to the Indians for the next few minutes, first of all, they – Finished out of the wild card spot by four games. They were 81 and 80 on the year. Mark, I've got some streaks that the Indians performed over the last two months. In the last 31 games of the year, the Indians were 17 and 14. So, the opinion of even myself and others that the Indians were playing great baseball in the last month really, the numbers don't actually say that. They were only 17 and 14 in the last 31 games, they were 16 and 12 in the month of August. Those were their only two winning months of the baseball season. And for the last two weeks in August, Mark, they went 9-2. and two. That's the only reason that they were able to achieve a 500 record this year. Just one game over 500 at 81-80. and 80. Now, it's my opinion, and I've been reading a lot of articles today on the Indians, that the Indians front office is going to parlay these last two months, which realistically, Mark, weren't all that great. In the last two months, if you look at it, they were seven games over 500. they They're going to parlay these last two months into an offseason of trying to sell a lot of season tickets based upon hopes, dreams, and promises that this team is ready to win. This team is not ready to win. This team's got a championship-caliber pitching staff but I don't know how much you put into credibility ERA, but the Indians, as far as the American League were concerned, with this pitching staff, they were eighth in the American League in ERA. So I don't know how much credibility you put into that stat, Mark, but realistically, this pitching staff, yeah, they're good. Yeah, they strike out a lot of people. Yeah, they win some ball games. But they need some help with some guys scoring runs.
1: What happened to your Cy Young winner this year? Just bad luck?
0: Just bad luck. He wasn't getting any runs scored. I mean, the average he got the worst run support of any starter in the American League this year. Period. Bar none. He, he was like the old Louis Tiant saying, if he gave up one run, he tied. If he gave up two, he lost. And that was what happened early in the year. He had a stellar outing on Saturday against Boston, went eight innings, and won two to nothing. And that was the type of year that Corey Kluber had all season long. He'd give up no runs, one run, two runs, and he'd get beat. Hmm. It, It was just a strange year. But the Indians, here's another thing that the pitching staff did. Let me give you two stats here. Carlos Carrasco and Corey Kluber became the first Cleveland Indians duo to top 200 strikeouts in a season since 1968. Do you remember who did it then?
1: 1968, uh, well, Sam McDowell, Lu- right. Louis Tian.
0: And Louis Tiant. Those were the two. And the Indians became the first team in American League history to have four players with at least 170 strikeouts this year. Kluber had 245, Carrasco 216, Danny Salazar 195, and Trevor Bauer had 170. All of them reached that plateau. Only two teams in the National League have ever claimed that accomplishment, Mark. It was the 1990 New York Mets and the 1969 Houston Astros. Those were the only two teams that have done that. The Indians are the only team. Yes, they've got a great pitching staff, Mark. I'll grant them that. Their bullpen, their middle relievers, they were shaky throughout the year. The back of the bullpen with Shaw and Cody Allen, they were good. But this pitching staff was eighth in the American League in ERA. This pitching staff cannot go out there each and every game and know going into a game that they can't give up more than three runs because if they do, they're going to get beat. They can't do that next year. If the front office thinks that they can sell this to the people without getting a bat in the middle of that lineup, they're sorely mistaken. And one other thing. They cannot go into next year with Carlos Santana as the cleanup hitter. They can't do it. And expect people to believe that this team has an opportunity to win. Now suddenly, the rumors started spewing out today, and I find this as part of the Indians' propaganda machine, that Carlos Santana played the entire year with a bad back. Well, so did Michael Brantley. And Michael Brantley put up numbers. 15 steals, 15 homers, 45 doubles, 150 hits. He's the first Indians player in team history to compile those kind of numbers in consecutive seasons. Hard to believe, but Michael Brantley did that. And he played this year with a bad back. And he played a position that is harder to play in left field because you've got more ground to cover. If if Carlos Santana, Mark, had a bad back in some of the things that I saw him do, I'd like to have a bad back
1: like that. You know, when you were talking about the Indians' performance this year, uh, I, I checked earlier today, and it, it, there's just some mind-blowing numbers this year, uh, in, in the American League particularly. And just to put this in perspective, the Indians scored 669 runs, which is not bad. It's kind of, kind, of, kind of average. I think they were 11th in the league in hitting. Not bad. The Toronto Blue Jays scored 891 runs. They, they scored 222 more runs than, than the Indians did. That's amazing. But, you know, when when you look at the the standings, the Cardinals and and the Pirates and the Cubs had the three best records in baseball in the same division. And anymore, if you can win 86, 87 games, you have a chance for the playoffs. So, you know, teams are no longer trying to put together super teams because, you know, you, you get a break. But, man, if you're playing in the National League Central for the next few years, good luck. And, you know, there's no way the Reds are going to compete with those three teams. But the Indians, you look at that division, and Kansas City's a good team for sure. But aside from that, you know, Minnesota had their run, but I don't see Minnesota as a, you know, as a super team by, by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, the Indians have a chance to be competitive in that division far more opportunity than the Reds have in their division for the next at least four or five years.
0: I would agree with that, and I think the Chicago White Sox are another team that's that's on the rebuild. I think the Twins, they just had outstanding relief pitching this year. They did, and they had a couple of rookies that came up and played extremely well for them. And then you've got Kansas City that are in, that is in that division, and you've got Detroit. Frankly, I'm shocked, Mark, and this will take us into our next segment of tonight's show, I'm shocked Detroit stayed with Brad Ausmus as manager. I'm absolutely shocked at it.
1: You know, it's really strange you look at the the numbers uh, for Detroit. They led the le- they led major league baseball in hitting. 270 team batting average, which is really really high in today's world. And you know, they, they had their share of home runs, they scored a lot of runs, but again their pitching was their was their downfall. And you know, Verlander he he, he had I didn't see the stats, but I noticed the last 15, 20 starts, he started throwing the ball very well again. But that was a shocking performance by that team this year. And Do you think they're, that was just a blip, or is that team really now regressing?
0: I think that team is regressing. I think they've lost pitchers. I think they made some bad deals throughout the years. I, I think trading Austin Jackson really sent this team into a spiral because they didn't have a center fielder defensively that they could rely on and I think it hurt their pitching staff. I think the the Simon deal for the Reds or for the that they made with the Reds for the Tigers wasn't a bad deal. I mean, he came in and took the spot of Porcello, but when you have got a pitcher the caliber of, of Max Scherzer and you lose him and get absolutely nothing in return. And Justin Verlander, who's your supposed ace, comes out of spring training with a sore arm and can't pitch for the first two months of the year because he's got that sore arm. First one he's ever had, by his own admission. You've got problems, but that is the type of thing that happens when age starts creeping up on a team. Look at Miguel Cabrera. He has had a history of leg problems, and he had them again this year. He's had them for the last three years. And he had them again this year, which caused him to miss close to two months of the season. Now, he did win the batting title again. He had enough at-bats to win that. But still, you're looking at a guy there that, what are you going to do with him if you've got to put him at DH? Because then you've got to put Victor Martinez at first base. And Victor is getting old. And let's face it, the talent that Detroit has in the minor leagues is not the greatest in the world. And that trade that they made, I understand why they made it with Texas. Prince Fielder going to Texas for Ian Kinsler. I understand why Detroit made it. But that trade has just not paid dividends for the Tigers. Kinsler is not the same type of player for Detroit that he
1: was with Texas. Well, it's amazing. You mentioned Texas, and that team was left for dead And, you know, by the trade deadline, you know, they were they were playing for next year and they came off the mat and and came back and won. And, you know, people forget that it's look at the Reds, for instance. It's easy to forget that the Reds won the first four games of the year this year. You know, they, they beat Pittsburgh three straight and they beat St. Louis. And even in May, the Reds were tied with Pittsburgh for second place. And they had a losing record. I think they were three under 18 and 21 or something like that in the middle of May. But the Reds were competitive uh, going into uh, late, mid mid May, late May. They were only four or five games out of first place. And the performance of this team in the second half of the year, particularly, just incredibly bad. And some of these teams, we, we talked about the Indians as an example that uh, I think it now it was two months ago, or maybe it was at the trade deadline. I, I felt they were one player away from being really competitive, and that they just didn't make that deal. I didn't think they needed any help in the pitching, but they did need a bat. And you can't have your your first baseman, who's your I don't know where he hit this year, Santana, but what did he hit 230.
0: Oh, well, less than that, two or close to 222. Okay, well.
1: <laughs> You can't have that kind of a power position occupied by a guy hitting 220. And these teams, they forget what happens, I think. You look back the standings back at the All Star break. And, you know, a lot of the teams that are in the playoffs or damn near made the playoffs uh, weren't even in the running at that time. It's a long season. And I, I don't know why these teams don't hang in there longer because so much can happen all you have to win is 80 as i said 84 85 86 if you win 87 or 88 you're almost assured a playoff spot
0: oh you're you're absolutely right i mean okay Carlos santana this year had 19 homers this is a typical santana year and this is why you cannot go into him mark you you were absolutely correct he did hit 230 he hit 231 because he hit like crazy over the last week after the playoffs were out of out of the question. He had 85 RBIs. Now, on any other team batting sixth, that would be a pretty good year. But this is not what you can get out of your cleanup hitter if you are a team that expects to contend for a world championship. Now, that's the question. Do the Indians expect to contend for a world championship? My contention is... They don't. They don't care about winning world championships in Cleveland. All they care about is putting a team out there, garnering as much money as they can, and the apathy in Cleveland, Mark, they can put anything they want to out in the field. Doesn't matter. The apathy in Cleveland, not only amongst the fans for this team, but amongst the media, is just amazing. I have never seen sports talk radio... The way it is in Cleveland, not only from a professional aspect, not only from a lack of knowledge aspect, but from a I don't care about the Cleveland Indians, and we're going to talk about the Cleveland Browns, and when the Cavaliers go into training camp like they did a week ago, then we'll talk about the Cavaliers. The finale of the regular season yesterday, Mark, was non-existent on Sports Talk Radio in Cleveland today non-existent.
1: That's amazing. You know, it's happening down here in Cincinnati. It's the first time uh, as it relates to the Reds that I have seen guys like Hal McCoy, who typically will not say anything negative about the Reds or or the front office. I think he's afraid to, he won't be getting interviews, but he pretty much blasted Walt Jockety today or yesterday um, saying this team is a mess and it's his fault. Um, But the other thing that's happening which I've never seen happen before. Number one, the Cincinnati Bengals are off to a great start. They're 4-0. And the Reds fans could not wait for the season to be over. This is the second year in a row that the Reds have played horribly. And the the Bengals have been in the playoffs five years in a row. And all of a sudden, the the, the interest level, the the focus on a team... Uh, the impact it has on a community, all those things, uh, it is being now moved to the, the Cincinnati Bengals. And it's going to take some time and effort and money for the Reds to overcome that because right now there is the, the worst thing that can happen to a Major League Baseball team is not that their fan base gets mad, it's that their fan base doesn't care. It's, ap- it's apathy. And right now, I heard it today, I think it was Lance McAllister talking about the Reds. He said he's been talking to a lot of people around town who last year got season tickets because of the All-Star game. They wanted to go to the All-Star game. He said they're not renewing. And he he expects ticket sales to to plummet this offseason. And the Reds are going to have to decide, okay, do we just blow off 2016? Well, I'll tell you what, if you blow off 2016 and you don't give it a try, you're going to lose – you're going to lose a generation of, of fans who will just forget about the Reds. Because if, if this goes on for another three or four years, nobody's going to care. And the Bengals are going up, and the, and the, and the Reds are going down. And right now, it, it lays at the feet squarely at Walt Jockety. It's his baby. Now And t-
0: Mark, I can understand that down in Cincinnati. And the reason I can understand it is because the Reds are going down and the Bengals are going up, just like you said. But in Cleveland, the Browns stink. There is nothing to talk about with the Browns, except how terrible they are. You've got a baseball team here that, okay, I'm going to put this in quotation marks as I say this, played good baseball over the last two months, and they were in a pennant chase. They were in a wild-card pennant chase. And they got no publicity whatsoever out of the two sports talk shows, radio stations, in the town because everybody was coerced by the Cleveland Browns. And what have the Browns done that is probably more intelligent? I've got to give the Browns front office credit on this one, even though I think the Browns stink. And I know this is a baseball show, but I've got to tell you this. What have the Browns done? They've gone out and they have signed up both sports talk stations, 92-3 on FM, ESPN 850 in Cleveland on AM, to be their home radio station of the Cleveland Browns. And they simacast the games on both stations. They're competing stations. One's ESPN, one's CBS. But the Browns were smart enough to go out and sign up both sports talk stations so that they can control what is being said about the Browns on the air. The Indians, nobody cares. They don't talk about the Indians on the sports talk stations. They don't care.
1: That's surprising to me because when when the Indians were winning and filling that stadium every year for how many years? How many games in a row did they fill? 455. Okay. Well, that's at least, what, three and a half years of something like that, every game filled, and I know leading up to that, they were probably putting thirty-five, thirty-eight thousand 38,000 people a year, and then as it tailed down, probably the same. Uh, But do people forget that? Because it's clear in Cleveland, if you produce a winner, the people will show up.
0: When you've got radio stations, Mark, and the radio stations will deny this, but I'm telling you, this is the way it is. They will deny it. This is what's happening. They've got people calling in about the Indians. They don't want to talk about the Indians. They don't care. Their bread and butter is the Browns because the Browns are footing the bill on their station. That's why. Crying out loud, Mark, ESPN 850 has got a show that runs from one to three that is donated entirely to the Cleveland Browns 365 days a year. It doesn't matter if it's in the middle of May. It's donated Those two hours are donated completely to the Cleveland Browns. Nothing else is talked about. That's the way the radio stations run up here in Cleveland.
1: How many people did the Indians draw this year?
0: That I can't answer. I would have to look it up. But let me ask you this question. How many season tickets do the Reds actually um, average selling per year?
1: I don't know that either. Other than the fact that they were, they said they were one of the lowest in, in the in the country in Major League Baseball. I, I think they were fifth from the bottom in season tickets. The Reds survived by a lot of walk ups, but that is all, as you know, that's all predicated on a team playing well. And people get excited. Hey, let's go down to the ball game. The Reds are playing the Cardinals. Wow, they have a chance to win. That hasn't happened for a long time. And, you know, Jockety, um, I I tried to be patient this year. You even reprimanded me because I wasn't hard enough on Jockety. Uh, But you've convinced me, and I looked around Major League Baseball, and he has really done a poor job. Now, the argument is, well, he, he got him into the playoffs three years, 2010, 2012, 2013. They've made the playoffs, but as you remember, the Central Division... In 2010 and even 2012, was a very weak division, terribly weak division. Uh, the Cubs, the Astros, uh, the Reds beat up on those teams, and it got them into the playoffs. They were not a good team, and and Jockety refused to improve them from 2010 to 2011. They had a chance to win in 2012. They were a hitter away, and they, and he didn't do it. So they've had the door open for them. They just didn't. They didn't walk through it. And uh, I maintain that the Indians are far closer to being a playoff team than the Reds are.
0: Well, that may be the case, but the Reds outdrew the Indians by more than 1.1 million fans this year. Mark the Reds were 18th in Major League Baseball in attendance, with an attendance of 2.4 million fans that came through the turnstiles in 81 games. Now, I'm looking at this online, Mark, right now, and the Indians were 29th in the year. Now, this is the, this is the part of this that I don't understand. It says the Indians only had 78 home games this year. I don't think that's the case. I would really debate that amount because they played 161 games, and the one game that they missed was the Detroit game, and that was supposed to be at home. And the Indians... Had 1.3 million. They were just shy of 1.4 million this year. That's terrible attendance.
1: Well, terrible. That, if that's inaccurate. No, I, I don't think that can be accurate because I'm sure they drew more than that.
0: I'm not. No, I wouldn't say Tampa Bay drew 1.2. Wow, that is. Miami was 1.7. That's they terrible. were the two teams. Miami was 28th, and Tampa Bay was 30th. Where was the St- Indians were next to last?
1: Uh, what was St. Louis?
0: St. Louis was number two, right behind the Dodgers. St. Louis drew $3.5 million. The Dodgers drew $3.7 million.
1: So the, the Cardinals outdrew the Reds by the same amount that the Reds outdrew the Indians. Yes. <laughs> that's an extra 1.1 million people coming through the gate, that's a lot of money.
0: So the Cubs drew just shy of 3 million this year and remember they had to shut down the left field bleachers for a month and then they shut down the right field bleachers for 2 months
1: that's amazing that's,
0: yeah i mean i mean but in cleveland the indians are the third class story mark it, that's what i mean it's total apathy as far as the indians are concerned and it's it's basically predicated upon in my opinion The sports talk shows. They don't care. They are all paid for by the Browns. We're going to talk Browns all the time. We're not going to talk Major League Baseball. And that's the way it is. Mark, one guy was fired today as we talk about some of these managers. Matt Williams was fired. Both you and I predicted Washington to win the World Series this year. A a lot of people did. So the firing of Matt Williams doesn't surprise you or me.
1: No, that um, – and, you know, I don't know if he's a good manager or not. You, you don't know looking outside in. The guys who can tell you if he's a good manager or not are the players. Uh, and th- that's something they're not going to disclose. But when you have that kind of – you look at their roster in that lineup, and you got Scherzer at the top, but you, Zimmerman, number two in that rotation, you've got some studs, and you got a great offensive team, and to, to lose – uh, somebody's going to pay. And it, it's, it's you know, wasn't he manager of the year? Last year? Yeah, last year. I mean, that. Uh, I think there'll be no shortage of jobs available to him. Uh, but, you know, one of the interesting rumors I heard today is who is, uh, I guess, was interviewed this week for the Miami job.
0: And who was that?
1: Dusty Baker.
0: Why would they want to bring Dusty Baker? He's what is he seventy?
1: Yeah, he's, he's probably. Yeah, I think he is. As a matter of fact,
0: I mean, they don't have a shot at winning next year. This this is a job, as far as the
1: Marlins are concerned, that's going to take three or four years. Well, maybe they think they they need a young uh, a guy who can you know relate to the young players and coach them and and all that. Not relate to them, but nurse them because they do have a, uh, some some young players there. But I tell you, the team that I, I think is a sleeper and they they kind of fell off this year uh, is Houston. I know they made the playoffs, but man, I tell you, they they got some great pitching, and that team can hit. I mean, they uh, their, their average wasn't real high, but they in that ballpark, they hit over two hundred and thirty home runs this year. That's a ton of home runs, and uh, that team is going to be reckoned with for a while. But you know what surprised me? I forget how many years in a row now that we've predicted that Los Angeles Angels with that lineup, how do you not win with that lineup? They didn't make playoffs again this year, and Socia was has been rehired.
0: That's the one. That's another one that befuddled me. Was Mike Sosha. I know he's going to be coming back. The Angels announced that today for the seventeenth year. He's the longest tenured manager in baseball. But the way the Angels have underachieved over the last three years under Sosha, I am just completely shocked that they're bringing him back, almost probably more so than I was at Ausma spring brought back by Detroit.
1: Yeah, you look at Albert Pujols, Mike Trout, uh, Hamilton when he's healthy. Uh, I mean, they have a great lineup, and they're, they're, they did not shore up their pitching this year. Uh, their pitching was not what it should have been. But, you know, again, you look at these managers and you wonder, like Brian Price, you lose 98 games and you're rehired. Uh, somebody in that organization is saying, and I think that is a shot at, at uh, the general manager, Jockety. Uh, I mean, you've got to put everything on him then. The consensus is if you don't fire a manager after he loses 98 games, you're saying, hey, pal, it wasn't your fault. Well, whose fault was it? Well, it wasn't your fault. And he, you know, he's in no position to blast his boss and say, "Give me some damn players, and I'll win for you." But it's very clear to me that that Jockety is the reason the Reds have failed, and um, you got rid of your Sapiro, But if he comes back next year and the White Sox win, uh, you need to send him a case of wine. <laughs>
0: Mark, I've got three teams that I think their managers are on the hot seat. First of all, Atlanta and Freddie Gonzalez. I think he's got to be on the hot seat, especially with John Hart as the president and their new GM coming in.
1: Yes, but again, look what they got rid of. And, you know, Atlanta's in a rebuild mode, and I I don't think. In some of these situations, I think Atlanta's an exception. I think Atlanta has enough money, they're going to come back quicker than the Reds. But. Who would want the Reds' job?
0: I think there's a lot of guys out there that would
1: want the Reds' job. Whether or not the Reds would want them is another story. But. No, I, I think it's the other way around. I think the Reds may want a lot of guys, but they're not going to want the Reds. Yeah, you can always find somebody to come in and, and take over and because they want to be a major league manager. But a great manager is you know, somebody like Joe Madden. If Joe Madden had his choice, would he go to the Reds or Cubs last year? If everything was equal. Mm-hmm.
0: He'd have gone to the Cubs. Of course, I'm sure you could get Manny Acta or Eric Wedge to come in and manage the Reds.
1: How about Dave Mitchell? No, you Well, have-
0: oh, yeah, I'd take the job. It'd be a steady paycheck. Yeah. I'd take the job. What the heck? I'll give me give me a four year deal on that. I'll, I'll take it. Go ahead and fire me after a couple years. Well, I've still got. I'm still getting paid off.
1: You know, it's. Y- baseball is such that you don't have to be a real smart human being to manage a baseball team. No. It's, it's not a difficult endeavor. So you could have college managers and you could have guys who could go in and clearly they could lose 98 games too with this team this year for the Reds. But it, it's, it's something different when you have a team that has a chance to win and you need that guy like a Joe Madden who can, I tell you that if the Cubs get by this, this play in game against the Pirates, uh, they're they're going to be tough out.
0: They're a tough out. Right. So you think Freddie Gonzalez stays? I do. All right. The Chicago White Sox and Robin Ventura. I think he's a good honor.
1: Yeah, I think you're probably right. Although, he's so popular in Chicago because of his playing days there. That, that, that would, uh, again, who are you going to blame, the general manager or the manager?
0: Well, I, yeah, that, that's a good point. But I still think. Robin Ventura is a goner. all right the last one I think is going to surprise a lot of people. I think if this team doesn't do well in the playoffs, this guy's gone. the Dodgers and Don Mattingly
1: well that's been predicted for how many years?
0: Yeah but I think they' I think they this is
1: it uh, what that the money they're spending yeah I mean they have the biggest payroll in baseball now and uh, it's hard to believe with that I mean look at that look at that rotation. My God, uh, such great pitching that they've got at the top of that rotation. Um, yeah, it's hard to believe they haven't won. And you, when you look at player by player, that is like an all-star team in many cases. Now, I, I think what's hurt them is Jimmy Rollins at shortstop. And uh, it, he only hit, what, 232, 235 this year, if that. And I, I think he, he brings some strengths to that team, but... Uh, you, you have to have more than that in in that in that lineup and uh if the dodgers don't win uh i, I think he stays my opinion is even if they don't win i think he stays
0: oh i i, I think he's gone mark could you imagine the dodgers if they would have had d gordon this year
1: oh yeah yeah that's right i mean they they would have been almost unstoppable and uh, they've won that division now. What three years in a row? Yes. And you know, every other year, of course, San Francisco goes out and beats them in the playoff and gets wins the World Series. This was not their year, uh, odd year. But uh, yeah, that that Western division is a tough division too. Uh, not not as tough as the Central. But I, I think Mattingly. Uh because he's won three years in a row, I, I don't think you can fire a guy when he's won three division titles in a row, even if they don't make the playoffs. I mean, D. Uh, Gordon was the first
0: player, Mark, that led the National League in both average and steals since nineteen forty nine, and that was Jackie Robinson that did it. And he beat
1: out Billy Hamilton by one?
0: Yes. Yeah. Figured he, he had fifty eight stolen bases. Yeah. Led the National League with fifty eight.
1: Well, Billy Hamilton is a story unto itself, and maybe we can discuss that in the next week or so. But uh, that, that was a very disappointing performance he put on this year. And, uh, again, yeah,
0: we'll, tell, we'll, we'll bring that up here in the next week when we go over what we think the Reds and the Indians need to do in the offseason. Mark off the field, Vince Scully's back, Dick Edberg's back. Is Marty Brandman back for the Reds?
1: Yes, but I thought Edberg uh, was out.
0: No, Enberg stays. Oh, did he? Yes, he's Cause, staying.
1: Because they said that they had uh, brought in another guy. I guess he's doing some of the other games on radio or something to, to replace Dick Enberg. But I like it, Dick Enberg, and I like uh, Vince Skelly. I,
0: I do, too. Now, the wild card games begin tomorrow night. The Houston Astros will be in New York to take on the Yankees. We didn't even get to C.C. Sabathia. We're running out of time. But let, r- very quickly, Sabathia dropping himself off the playoff roster to go into alcohol and drug rehab, this is a pretty strange time of year for somebody to be going into that.
1: Well, it must be a pretty desperate situation for him to do that. And maybe he didn't think he could help his team win, and if that's the case, then I I applaud him for doing that uh, because he didn't want to put his team in a bad situation. But, uh, boy, it's hard to imagine with all the things these guys have going for them, they have to resort to that.
0: Uh, I I agree with you. Wednesday, boy, that's gonna be a that's gonna be quite a game on Wednesday, isn't it, Mark, with the Cubs playing the Pirates in Pittsburgh. Jake Arrieta against Garrett Cole at eight o'clock. That game's gonna be televised on
1: T B S. Yeah, you know, I like the Cubs in that game. Even, even though they're playing on the road and Pittsburgh's a tough place to play. Arietta has been lights out. I you know, I saw him pitch against the, the Reds the other night and he's got a breaking ball. I I I don't know how anybody hits it. You need a boat oar to hit that damn thing. And he's still in his slider at 88, 89 miles an hour. And uh, fastball 96, 97 on the black. He is really dealing right now. And I, I don't see how he can be beat right now.
0: He's having one of those years, so... Well, that's going to do it for this week's show, Mark. It's been a heck of a year. We'll be back again next week. We're going to round out our show here in a couple of weeks, but we'll be back next week to talk about what the Reds and the Indians need to do in the off season. All talk right. to you next week. Okay,
1: Dave. Have a good
0: one. You too. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget, coming up on Thursday night, it's the Ultimate Sports Talk show, and then coming up on Saturday, on Friday night, it will be high school football here on com as we bring you... Dale at Northwestern. Don't forget to join us again then on for that coming up. That will be Friday night at 6.30 with the pregame show and 7 o'clock with the kickoff. So our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show. Also to you for listening. Once again, for Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good week, everybody.